Hello, I'm Jamie Bricker. And I'm Carol Bricker. And you're listening to Bricker by Bricker, a podcast to support parents with building productive partnerships between home and school. Well, in our ongoing series of podcasts, they're really all about informing parents about things that are happening in today's education. Well, as research tells us, the more informed parents are about what's going on in their school and and their child's classroom, the more actively involved they tend to be in their child's education. And this support really leads to their child enjoying school more, but also being more successful academically. And in our last podcast, we really spent a fair bit of time discussing inquiry learning which, of course, really centers around the importance of having kids develop their abilities to ask rich, complex questions in order to really heighten their learning and understanding. So really an emphasis on refining questioning skills rather than just immediately getting that correct answer. answer certainly. And, and so today we're going to continue that discussion by initially talking about play-based learning, which is the type of programming that's happening in kindergarten classrooms in Ontario and probably classrooms elsewhere, as well as early childhood education. And it really is all about children being curious and, and asking questions. And then following that, we're going to talk about a term that parents may be familiar with called project-based learning, which is another educational pedagogy that's being used in classrooms. And we'll look to see how this approach does play out for children within the classroom setting. And over the months in several previous podcasts, we've certainly discussed the value of play and how play naturally really helps develop some key skills in kids. And of course, the four C's, which are an ongoing theme just because they're so important in the century moving forward. The critical thinking, the collaboration, the communication, the creativity, but a couple other biggies, I think you'd agree, Carol, that have really come to prominence with so many mental health issues, et cetera, the past decade or so are resiliency and self-regulation. Oh, certainly. And I mean, the list continues to go on and on with the skills that are developed through play. And let's face it, we all know play is a natural part of any child's development, and it builds on his or her innate curiosity. And through this play, they get to explore, manipulate, build, create. But the best term that really comes to mind for me is when I think of play, I think of the whole world of wonder, Mm -hmm. all of the why nots and the what ifs. Some great questions for kids to be asking. And and so when we look at play-based learning, it really is a mindset approach of questioning and wondering. So in classrooms that are run on this play-based approach, you know, inquiry really permeates all thinking and all learning throughout this approach throughout the whole day. And and as I said, in in full day kindergarten programs or FDK programs, as we refer to them, you know, the play based learning occurs throughout the whole day. Whereas when we look at later grades, inquiry is still at the heart of all learning, but it tends to be more subject to specific Although there are situations and and are things that kids are working on that can have components from multiple subjects. Oh, very true. And play-based learning is really appropriate for all students, as you were mentioning, because it simply aligns so well with their natural development levels and it really builds and extends their thinking. 
And it really, I, I like the fact too, it really kind of allows both the, or all of, excuse me, the students, the parents and the educators to really look at a child's growth from a, a really clear starting point, which I also think is really impactful. But let's face it, uh, we all learn things at you know, different, different ways and different yep. rates and, mm -hmm. and so on. So some students will certainly require more explicit teaching around some of the skills developed. Uh, and they also may, may really benefit from a small group instruction or even an individual conference can be really powerful. Mm -hmm. And when we look at that explicit teaching, particularly for our younger students, a lot of it is around that social emotional learning where kids aren't necessarily grasping the concept from a teacher, you know, reinforcing another child on the skills that they're demonstrating, that they may need more specific instruction to those skills in Very order to, to develop them. But with this approach, you know, it's much more a personal approach to learning because it really builds naturally on the child's interest in their schema rather than in the past when I taught kindergarten where, you know, we might have a theme based on the, the month that it's winter time or St. Patrick's Day, or it might be based on nouns that kids know, such as, you know, we might be doing a unit on frogs or trains or dinosaurs. So well, you think of how externally imposed those themes were. And I look back, certainly when I taught primary grades, and I was as guilty as anyone. You know, the first snowfall. Okay, oh, yes. boys and girls, let's dis <laughs> let's discuss winter. And art's you know. going to be about making snowflakes. Exactly. <laughs> just when you think about it, just so you know, mm -hmm. so distant from the child's interests. Yes. And also I think I look back and I'm I'm kind of smiling as you see, Carol, because so many field trips back in the day, the field trip was guiding what the, the focus of the yes. classroom is that not a classic case of the tail wagging the, the dog? dog yes so if we couldn't get into the museum for six weeks later than we originally planned then we adjusted all of our programming to accommodate Pretty, the museum schedule certainly something and was wrong with that so what's really nice with this is that it's all based on the questions that children are asking and they're expressing their thinking but at the same time, the teacher's asking questions that they think will further pro provoke the child's thinking or further stimulate his or her curiosity. So it's not only the questions that kids are asking themselves or they're asking each other or they're asking the teacher, but it's also the teacher modeling and asking questions. Well, do you not agree, Carol, to me, Play-based learning is a classic example of do as I do. And as you say, the Much teacher... Much better than do as I say. <laughs> well, no, no kidding. I mean, as with any kind of learning, but the teacher really needs to be modeling that yes. on a regular basis. And extensive research about play-based learning has certainly found that it really lays the foundation for greater social, emotional, and academic growth and success in our young people. And another biggie is play-based learning, I think just naturally... I mean, look way back when we were kids, it, it naturally helps develop self-regulation, which, of course, includes things like impulse control and understanding and controlling one's emotions, which, of course, are huge skills for anyone, frankly, of mm -hmm. any age. Mm -hmm. But it's a they combine to form a really vital part of a young child's development. And, of course, language is a key component of this as kids develop their own self-regulation skills. And so what we may be seeing from kids is that they're developing that internal voice or self 
that self-talk while they're trying to regulate themselves. And initially, you know, they, they may be mimicking what they've heard adults say, like, you know, if you're this person, you're not being able to play with this person, then, you know, quietly go and choose somewhere else to, or, or so they might be saying to themselves, okay, this isn't going well. So I'm going to go and find some, something else to do or someone else to play with to progressively getting it to their own language that they're they're using to help support their self-regulation. But really, when we look at these skills, like there's a lot of skills involved with that regulation because they have to pay attention to the situation and, and you know, what's happening in it. And if problems arise, they have to have that memory for how strategies that they could be using. And again, then that planning and self-direction for how they're going to go about it. And when we look at all of those skills that I just mentioned, they are naturally developed and re- reinforced through those play situations. Well, it's pretty clear, Carol, that, you know, you're talking about a lot of, you know, genuinely valuable uh, skills, those both for the short term and lifelong skills. No question about it. But as we're discussing it, of course, it really kind of leads to the next big question of how are these skills effectively monitored mm-hmm. and ultimately assessed? And I think, you know, virtually any uh, adult I know, uh, parent, teacher, or otherwise, is going to agree that, you know, play and play-based initiatives are certainly important and beneficial. And, you know, I think in theory, we're all for kids exploring and discovering and, and so on. But uh, it really kind of, once again, begs the question, well, as they're doing all this exploring and discovering, how do we kind of make sure it's focused and it's not just kind of a you know, a fun free-for-all. You're right. And really, the teacher does have to be very thoughtful about what are those materials that they're going to be making available to students, because the whole focus is using the different manipulatives or the toys or, you know, the, the building materials to stimulate and support that creativity that we're wanting from kids. So, and when we look at these activities as well, they really need to be open-ended so that there's multiple ways that kids can be manipulating them, creating things with them, solving problems with them. And then also they have to have multiple entry points so that kids of differing ability levels can use those manipulatives and explore the materials in ways that is going to promote. Well, I think think it's really good, Carol, that you mentioned and really stressed very well that just to make it clear, play uh, based learning doesn't mean the teacher's sitting around kind of quote doing nothing. It actually requires much more uh, from the teacher just in very different ways. Mm -hmm. But I think that's important to stress. This is not an attempt to make it quote easier for the teacher. Far from it. We're trying to make it better for the student which of course is ultimately our goal. And in terms of uh, multiple entry points, I think that's a really key point too. And I look at those different entry points as kind of under the heading of a variety of different ways for kids to learn, because of course we all learn differently at different rates. But also one, one aspect of entry points I think is often overlooked is the whole idea of a multitude of different ways for kids to show or convey or express their learning. And to me, as you know, multiple entry points is all about opening windows rather than closing Closing doors. doors. And educators observe and document a child's thinking, ideas, and learning. And 
analyze and interpret what they have noticed and express their own thinking and wondering as they interact with the children. And I think this aspect of play-based learning is really cool because it's also kind of activating the wonder of the teacher. Oh, definitely. Well, very much so, actually. You know, I was in a kindergarten classroom at one point towards the end of my career, and the early childhood educator and the teacher were great at getting down with the kids on the floor and talking with them about what they're doing and what they're learning and the documentation that was happening and the questioning that was happening, not only from the children, but also from the teacher to further develop that. And, and really, that's what it's all about, is, is the teacher is really facilitating the learning of the, of the children based on the directions the kids want to go. Well, as we've said before, the teacher assumes the role of, you know, the lead learner. Yes. Certainly not the passive observer. No. Anything from yes. it. But also, we were, we were talking about feedback, and I think it's really important, of course, throughout this process that feedback is provided to students through questions and appropriate prompts. But I think it's once again important to stress feedback is really task specific and really concise versus praise, which of course is important as long as it's really genuine. It's not just some generic mm -hmm. thing, but I think it's important for parents to realize that the days of the way to go and keep it up yes. and good job, those are fortunately really falling by the wayside because that's not feedback. Mm -hmm. And when you know, we look at this play-based, we always have to bring it back that what the kids are doing aligns with those curriculum expectations. And curriculum expectations can vary by province, by state, but generally they're very similar in nature with regard to what are those overall goal goals that, you know, we're wanting to see our children achieve. Excellent point, and I think it's important, once again, to stress to everyone, Carol, that yes, the play-based learning offers an awful lot of choice and opportunities, however, within the parameters of a curriculum. Mm -hmm. There's no question. It's not just yes. totally do your own thing. Now, another key aspect, of course, with any learning at school is communicating with parents. And with the play-based learning, the, this first kind of formal contact is typically a child-led family conference where the child has an opportunity to share his or her learning with his or her parents. But then again, of course, later in the school year, uh, the next big step would be the written report, which of course would be at the midway point of the year. And also once again, at the end of the school year. And I think that child-led conference is, is a great way for parents to learn how to talk to their kids about what they're learning at, at school. And that can continue at, at home. And, you know, there are a variety of different suggestions for questions that parents can ask that I'll put on the website, but they could be asking things like, you know, you, you said you were building at school today. Tell me what you noticed about the structure you built or who did you play with at school today? And what did you learn while you were playing with that person, which could lead into some social-emotional uh, learning that your child engaged in, or it could also be that academic learning? Oh, no question. So I, that was our kind of generally brief, but hopefully informative overview of the key aspects of play-based mm -hmm. learning. And our other focus today is going to be on project-based learning and really kind of starting off with what is it? Well, I think of one real key is the fact that in project-based learning, students will work on a given project for an extended 
period of time. And that in itself is novel. It's not mm -hmm. a question of this afternoon, but rather something may go over a week or two, or in some cases, the project extends for weeks or months. And I think that's more so as kids get older that they're the long-term program. Oh, no question. There's a direct correlation of age of student mm -hmm. and length of project. No question. But with project-based learning, these projects engage the students into solving real-world problems. And I think it's important to stress they're real-world problems in the real world mm -hmm. of the child, not of the adults. And also really kind of both encouraging and requiring students to answer really some pretty complex questions. And the outcome in project-based learning, I think, is really interesting in that it's considered public product or a presentation which is shared with a real audience. And I love the phrase public product. So it's something that is going to be shared to the masses, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really cool because when students realize that from the get-go, I think it really well, helps it to validate more, yeah. what they're doing. And the projects, of course, once again, are based on student interest and they're authentic and engaging to the students involved. And like most things in education, you know, there have been studies done that have compared the instruction through uh, project-based learning methods compared to the traditional method of teaching. And generally, you know, most studies found that students develop a deeper content knowledge of the material and the subject that they've been, been studying, which kind of reminds me of the Ben Franklin quote, tell me I forget, teach me and I remember, involve me and I learn. And that's so important. The more kids are involved in the learning, then the deeper they're going to delve into a subject, but the better they are going to be having of understanding. Well, no it. question. I think you'd agree, Carol. It gets kind of self-perpetuating. Like the, dig, the deeper I dig, the deeper I wish to dig. And also, of course, along the way, the students feel more empowered. And I think for learners of any age, empowerment leads to heightened motivation. So once again, the students feel more feel more motivated than they typically did with the traditional teaching methods. Mm -hmm. And as a result, project-based learning is not surprisingly becoming more and more widely used in schools and frankly, in other educational settings. Yeah. So when we look at this project-based learning, you know, it kind of makes me think, well, how does this really compare with the concept of the project that we supposedly did when we were kids and, and did at the beginning of our careers? And I say supposedly because from our previous discussion, I couldn't even remember doing them. That shows how impactful they were to me in my learning. But Generally, when we look at a project, it's it's a short time frame that generally is considered to be intellectually light. Because, I, I love that phrase, mm -hmm. which to me means no meat on the bone. Yes. And generally, it's, it's a follow-up to teacher-directed unit of study. So we've studied all this information, and now you're going to create some lovely little project or, you know, reminds me of the medieval castles that we've talked about in previous previous podcasts. You're right. It was just kind of a, frankly, an easy way to divide up, say, a class of 30 into five or six groups. And in a, in a day or so, mm -hmm. they could have a wrap-up kind of summary. With, yeah. And everyone would have a very similar project because we all studied the same, same unit. Same thing, yes. So once again, I go back to your intellectually light. Mm -hmm. it, it very, very much was. 
Uh, and if we want to extend that thought, we could say certainly impoverished. And project-based learning is the unit of study. As opposed to the culmination and of I the love unit that. of study, yes. Like it's not the finish line, it's the journey. And it's the vehicle for teaching important knowledge and skills students need to learn. And the projects contain and frame, I love that combo, contain and frame the curriculum and instruction. So it involves an awful lot more than just the old days of remember this, memorize this, recall this. Big step forward from that. So if we look at then how is this project based learning implemented in the classroom, really one of the very first steps is all about building that classroom culture because, and this again, could involve that explicit or implicit teaching to promote student independence, ability to ask those questions, the team spirit of cooperation, um, the attention to quality, because of course we want very rich product at, at the end of it. And really, when I talk about creating that classroom culture too, it's really about creating an environment where kids feel safe to be right and wrong. Because there is so, you know, so much learning that happens in both of those situations. Well, I, as you're saying that, Carol, I immediately think of the old acronym FAIL, which we've mentioned before, F-A-I-L for first attempt in learning. And I mean, you're so right that making mistakes and, and exploring your mistakes, not with some kind of shame, mm -hmm. but rather with some real vigor and enthusiasm, uh, that's really how we learn. And think back to those scientists, you know, for centuries making those hypotheses. Mm -hmm. And if they're proven to be incorrect, then really finding out why. That's mm -hmm. really the basis of learning. So then the next step is that the teachers then design and plan a project for their curriculum content and their students. And when they look at kind of what they're, they're planning, that problem that they're going to be presenting to the students needs to be challenging for them, but also at that age grade appropriate level for the Appropriately student. challenging. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then this planning and design then also involves that student's voice because students then make some decisions about the project. And, and this might include like how they're working. Are they going to be doing it in groups and pairs? Are they going to be working independently? What are they looking to create? So what would the, at that product or that presentation be at the end? Right. And if we go up a little further to more of a macro view of that issue. Obviously, teachers need to determine the standards or curriculum expectations mm -hmm. that are going to align with this project. But also, as you well know, Carol, all of these things in a classroom, a big aspect are simply the logistics, uh, which are really important. And that certainly applies to project-based uh, learning. And teachers have to work with students to organize tasks and, and schedules, set check-in times and deadlines, and support them to find and use the appropriate resources. And then at the same time as all that's happening, you know, teachers are scaffolding the learning for students. And by scaffolding, we mean, that, you know, that, that teachers are building on previous knowledge and understanding so that students can develop a deeper understanding of the learning. And of course, throughout this process, a variety of instructional strategies are routinely put to use. 
such as conferencing, small group instruction, all the way up to large group instruction. And then, of course, there's both written and oral feedback. Mm -hmm. And that feedback is so essential because students and teachers really can reflect on the learning that's happening, the effectiveness of the inquiry and, and of their project, the quality of work, and then also those obstacles that arise and the strategies that are being used to overcome those obstacles. Bottom line, great life skills. Mm -hmm. As you say, the feedback is ultimately, of course, to improve both the process and the product. And of course, the final stage in this entire process is the presentation of the uh, project uh, to an audience beyond the parameters of the classroom. And of course, the breadth of this audience ultimately will depend largely on the age of the students involved. Younger students uh, may uh, you know, present to their classmates and frankly, to other classes and sometimes mm -hmm. to the whole division, like the yep. junior division or whatever. I've seen that done many times. And of course, older students quite likely will have the opportunity to present to business or community leaders. Which is really great for, for extending their learning and their thinking and connection to the community as a large Absolutely. piece. Absolutely. As, as we say to many times, you don't learn in a vacuum. No, no. So then it comes back to, okay, like there's a lot of things happening here, but how are these projects assessed? And in previous podcasts, we've talked about that diagnostic, formative, and summative assessments. And these assessment practices are ongoing throughout the project-based learning process. No question. I think a real key is before the project gets rolling, teachers need to get a real sense of students' initial knowledge and understanding of the topic that is kind of you know, covering mm -hmm. the entire project before the students begin. So as you say, that diagnostic piece yeah, is huge. It's huge. And then as we previously mentioned, all the things that teachers are doing throughout the course of the project, like this is how they're assessing the student work through the conferencing, through the feedback. And that's all that formative assessment, which is informing the teacher of where the students are, but also informing the students of where they are and where they need to go. And then uh, the project is completed at the end and presented at the end. And this is that summative assessment piece. Well, I would certainly, uh, you know, agree if parents had kind of questions right now in the back of their mind about, oh, well, this sounds great. But, uh, you know, for what age of child is project-based learning kind of most appropriate or what grade or whatever? But I think it's really important, Carol, that at this point we stress to everyone that project-based learning is very appropriate for any grade, any group mm -hmm. of kids, uh, is obviously the teachers simply design projects that are at an appropriate level of challenge for their given students. Mm -hmm. And when we look at those early grades, generally these projects are, are receive a lot of support from the teacher because in these grades, it's really teaching the students the skills that are required to complete a project. Where, of course, once again, we get a release of responsibility as kids get older. And the teachers are there for guidance on an as-required basis. Uh, and certainly, I think, in terms of topics, the topics, of course, get both broader and deeper as kids mm -hmm. get older. Oh, definitely. And ultimately, I think it's awesome when they can transcend numerous subject areas. Oh, def definitely. So 
If parents are, are looking and our listeners are looking for more information about project-based learning, there is a great website that they can go to, and I'll put the link to it on our website, which is plbworks.org. And there's a wealth of information for project ideas, uh, the, the research that's been done around project-based learning. So it is a, is a great place to get more information. Well, and we certainly hope our discussion has been valuable for parents, and we have hopefully provided you with a better understanding of both play-based learning and project-based learning. And if our listeners have any questions, they can email us at info at jamiebricker.com or contact us, us through, excuse me, through our website at brickerbybricker.com. And we really encourage our listeners to share our podcast with other families that they think might be interested. And a reminder to follow us on Voice Ed Radio, or if there's another platform that they're using, you know, we're available on iHeartRadio, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, just to name a few. And we look forward to connecting with you next time on Bricker by Bricker.